Let's Talk Football with your host Daniel Campos and Faruka Roll. Presented alongside our partners Multilingua FC, Let Your Passion Speak. Available to download on Google Play and football publishing house Libro Football at LibroFootball.com, your best Spanish language source of football literature. Now also in English. Al gol se llega leyendo. Yes, and welcome, welcome to Let's Talk Football. This is edition 15 with uh, your host speaking, Daniel Campos. Good to be back. Um, and it's been quite a week with uh, in the international fixture. We've got two more uh, qualifiers in the World Cup, 31st and 32nd spot. Um, already now decided, and the UEFA Nations League as well. So plenty of action. And with us is Michelle Morris in Sydney. Uh, Michelle, how are you? Hey, good, thank you. It's great to have you back. Um, where do we start? I mean, you, you're, um, you work in, 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 in new media and technology and video editing and all that, and you're also obviously a, a football fan. And um, your case is pretty uh, unique, if we can say, because uh, on one hand, uh, I mean, just, just to set the record, um, we're in Doha uh, in Qatar, and we've got an intercontinental playoff between Comnibal's fifth place uh, team, Peru, up against uh, the AFC, Asia's. Uh, could we say also, yeah, fifth place team, uh, or better said, the winner between the playoff between a third place team in Group A and Group B, which was the UAE in Australia, ended up being Australia. And in your situation, you're Australian, and your mother's Peruvian. You also have a Chilean father, so you've got two two allegiances and uh, one on on each end of the of the football pitch. Um, so Australia against Peru, uh, this time much more different, probably due to COVID and the restrictions and, and, and the lockdown. But FIFA decided it was going to be a one-off match instead of a home and away series. That's usually been the case, which it would have been you know, very interesting um, had that been the decision. So one, one match uh, playoff. And here we are. We've got Australia against Peru. Uh, you against your mum's country of birth. How was the atmosphere, first of all, at home? And, um, yeah, how, I mean, where do we start to, to dissect the, the, that match? Yeah, so it was um, it was very tense at home. My mum was so nervous. I think I asked her the day before, I was like, are you going to get up to watch the game? And she goes, no, I can't. It's, it makes me too nervous. I get too anxious watching the game. So she eventually, she did actually wake up and she watched the first half with us. Then she went back to bed um, uh, for context. It was four o'clock in the morning, um, Australian Eastern Standard Time, Daylight Savings Time. So it was very, uh, <laughs> it was very early in the morning. Yeah, yeah, just, and, to, um, just to set the record straight with our, with our listeners around the world. Yep. Yeah. And mind you, it's also the middle of winter. So it is freezing. Um, Australian houses are built for summer. So they're really nice in the summer, um, but they're 
dead set freezing cold in the winter so can if you can imagine you know it's dark it's cold and then you're just full of anxiety waiting for this game to start um my older brother doesn't live with us anymore and he's not really into football so he didn't care my younger brother is like pure Aussie like he loves his Australian football he will go for the Socceroos he will go for the Matildas um so he was very much all about Australia and then my dad who is Chilean, was basically saying, like, he's only going to go for Australia. Um, so there's that. But for me, like, I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I was happy to for either country to, to go through. I, I would have at least one country going to the World Cup. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to kick in, but I'm butting, but it just brings me a laugh, uh, you know, giggles because, because of your father. He's like, you know, no, I'm... I'm going for Australia, even though, I mean, yeah, he's chilling in Australia, but there's there's an innuendo behind that because there's no way a Chilean would support Peru, correct? There's just, it's That's no right. chance. A, a, a Scot will never go for England, vice versa. Yeah. You know? Um, so. And they've been married for many years and he loves the Peruvians that, you know, that we know family, friends and everything loves the sure, country, but he sure. will never support them in football. Oh, of course. So it was, um, yeah. very funny. Yeah. Just to um, put a bit of context, even here in Chile, no one went for Peru. No one, you know, as yeah. soon as the, the, the match broadcast started, everyone, everyone was Australian. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was Aussie. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah, the, the, the household was tense. Um, what I love, one of the reasons why I prefer going for South American teams as well is, um, and we can get into this a bit later as well, but one of the reasons that I love it so much is because they have so much more passion for it. And they typically, at least in Australia, the ones who are here in Australia, typically tend to be a lot more um, respectful of the opposition. So, a lot of Peruvians who live in Australia, they're here for a reason, right? As many South Americans are, like they're here for a reason. And um, they tend to love Australia as much as they love their home country. So, so you're so, saying out of, out of choice or necessity, it's probably, probably the, the latter. Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they come, when, when Australia, so when... Peru was playing New Zealand mm. for context back in 2017, yeah. four, 18. Four years ago mm-hmm. for, for, yeah. for Russia. Mm-hmm. So I went over yeah, to that's New Zealand right. with, a, with a bunch of people. So many Peruvians were there. Yeah, and do. the Kiwis are lovely people. And it was just this beautiful, like, moment where on match day all the Peruvians had gathered in, like, this plaza area before we started our march to the stadium. and a bunch of Kiwis who were like all in their like white uniforms and stuff, they ran in and everybody was just jumping and dancing with them. Like there was no arguments. There was no fighting. It was just pure love and just infectious. Yeah. It was just, and, and I say that I still say this to this day that this was one of the best footballing experiences that I have ever had in my life. It was, you know, everyone was respectful of each other. Everyone just loved to be there. And here in Australia, I remember, so on, you know, the day before the game um, against Australia it, for, for this coming, for this current uh, playoff game, 
Um, I went to Beverly Hills Park, which is just a random park, and there was a bunch of Peruvians there. They were playing music and, you know, we were singing our songs and we had smoke bombs and it was just really fun. And I brought my friends along with me. They're Australian. And I brought them with me and I was like, I want you to experience a little bit of what it's like. And they loved it and they enjoyed it. Um, they posted a video on TikTok and all the comments are just, you lost, you guys suck. This is what happens when you celebrate too early, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, we're not celebrating. We're just supporting our team before the game starts. It's just very South American. It's very, I don't know, probably very ethnic to just, you know, do this celebration, you know, beforehand. It's not a celebration. It's just a get together and, you know, just a moment to, to be together as a fan group. And I just, part of my problem with yeah, that's Australian right. football uh, is like. I agree. It's, just, it's a reason to get together regardless of the result. Yeah. yeah. And part of the thing that I really dislike about Australian fans and, and the football culture here is that, you know, we win a game, we go home. There's no celebration. There's nothing, you know, and, or it's, we win a game and suddenly we are the most arrogant people in the world. And it's like, for what? Like you still had to go through penalties just like the other team, you know? And yes, you can argue that penalties, they, they require a certain skill level. Absolutely. But also they're based on luck and they're based on your mentality and like how well you can handle that situation. And I just think that when you're at penalties, you're at an even playing field at that point because it's the score is even and there's only, you know, up or down. And I just, I have a real issue with Australians who get very arrogant with this sort of stuff and it really, really does my head in. Well, that probably um, makes sense because you've got, you know, You've got fans who probably think that that's transferable from their from their other sporting codes, and they think, oh, you know, if we beat so and so in rugby league, uh, we can do this in football, um, or you know, if we, we've won gold or silver or bronze medals in the Olympics and other sports, we can do this in football. But that's not the case, um, and yeah, I've, I mean, I don't live in Australia anymore, but. Um, you know, and people say, oh, but Australia is a very sporting country. Yes, it is a sporting country, but it's not a football country. It's not a football nation. It's a sporting nation, but it's not a football culture. It's still it's still in nappies. It's still in, de- it's in its development stage. And you're right, you know, um, what if Australia lost, you know? How, how would the reactions be? Um, you know, you win and, and suddenly, you know, everyone's on the, on the bandwagon, the victory bandwagon, jumping and um, and also, just a poor coverage in terms of the media, the mainstream media. Um, you know, leaving aside the specific, you know, football media, but just the mainstream media, they suddenly overnight become experts every four years. But that's only if you know the national team qualify. Uh, and and you know, it's 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 interesting because it's a similar outtake in Canada. They've qualified as well. It's similar in the United States. Uh, you've got these armchair critics that become, you know, experts overnight every four years, um, and, and regular football people are like, hang on, who who the hell are you? Um, you know, you don't jump on board. You don't support them, the the local domestic league. Um, you know, you just 
it's it's all easy, you know. It's, well, it's easy said and done to to just sit, you know, in your in your sofa and and, and watch and criticize. So um, it's very interesting what you say, and um, it's, it's, it resonates. And also, you're mentioning that you know the, the Peruvian community, you know, regardless, had they won or, or, or lost, um, it's a get together. Um, just for a bit of context, was was the Monday was the day before kickoff? Was it a was it a public holiday in in Australia? Was it a long weekend? Uh, yeah, long weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a Queen's birthday, I think it was. Queen's birthday, yeah. Yeah, and, and the Queen's, for, for, for those listeners, um, the Queen is, uh, yes, unfortunately, there's still a monarchy. You know, we're in 2022. It's such an archaic, uh, you know. But anyway, um, so Queen Elizabeth is still the head of state of Australia. Uh, it's not even her real birthday, but it's a public holiday. And speaking of public holiday, um in Congress in Lima, Peru, last week, last Thursday and Friday, they quickly passed, um, you know, a uh, well, we could say a bill, but uh, you know, the the the, the date for for, for um, Tuesday um, to uh, sorry, well, the Tuesday, sorry, the Monday, um, Monday the thirteenth of June. I'm getting confused. It was Tuesday. Um, 14th, early early Tuesday morning in Australia, so 13th, um, for it to be declared a national holiday in Peru. Why? You think, well, but the game hasn't even been played yet, played yet. but it's it, it was declared a national holiday so uh, as of 4pm onwards, so the country can watch the game. They can watch the game so people gathered in public, public squares, public, uh, you know, places, um, to watch it, you know, whether in fan fest, giant screens at home with you know, your family, friends, barbecue, that's how much football resonates in a country like South America. I mean, World Cup qualifying in South America means the world. If your country doesn't qualify, it's it's a disaster. Um, it's an absolute shame. It's 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 a catastrophe. Um, so that's just to juxtapose, you know, the the um, the realities here, you know, the context, the social impact of one qualifying game in Peru and what it means in Australia. Now, um, we're going to stay on this topic uh, early, you know, uh, well, late last night, depending where you were, but late Monday night um, in Buenos Aires in Argentina, one of their top, uh, you know, sports channels. Mind you, just for a bit of context, in South America, you've got, 10, 9, 10 channels uh, talking football all day, every day, all year long. Um, so, yeah, one of their main uh, TV stations, they decided to interview a former midfielder um, from Estudiantes de la Plata, uh, and he, he finished up his career at Adelaide United in the A-League, Marcelo Carrusca. And um, he, he lives in Adelaide, in Australia, and he was asked, uh, Marcelo, now that Australia you know, um, beat Peru on penalties. How, what does it mean to the Australian public? How, how are they celebrating? He said, what do you mean? He goes, well, aren't they in the streets celebrating now? There's no one in the streets celebrating. Are, are you serious? No. What do you mean? Isn't there like a public place to gather? He goes, well, at least in Adelaide, no. There, there, there's no, 
I, I don't believe you. Isn't there like an obelisk, you know, like in, in Buenos Aires? It's, it's, a, it's a meeting place um, where thousands or hundreds and thousands um, gather to celebrate. No, he said it's, it's, it doesn't have, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't have the significance or the importance, you know, and you think to yourself, well, no, it's, that's true. Uh, it's sad. It's a reality. And he's someone who decided after playing to stay in Australia to, to live permanently. And obviously, deep down, you want the best for the game to grow in, in Australia. Um, but uh, then you look at the sporting landscape and it's a public holiday for horses, for a race. You know? uh, but football doesn't have that same impact. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really disheartening to to see that no one wants to celebrate. I remember when Australia qualified for the World Cup, for the last World Cup against Honduras at home, you know, 80,000 people sold out stadium and then everyone just left. Everyone went home and that was it. And I was like, as if you don't want to celebrate this, like we've just qualified for the World Cup again. Like this is insane. And then, you know, I think, he mentioned it as well uh, in his interview saying that the timing of the game doesn't help either. You know, a four o'clock in the morning kickoff is difficult for a lot of Australians. You know, There's, it's a Tuesday. People have to go to school. People have to go to work. And like, yeah, you could argue, oh, well, if Anthony Albanese, the prime minister, just declared national, you know, public holiday for it, it doesn't help still because people, all they're going to do is they're going to go to sleep after the game. Um, so... I think he he really said he said it in the interview. I think he said it really well that like if they could have just figured out a time when the Australian fans and the Peruvian fans could watch it, you know, both at decent times, it would have been way better. And I'm sure that there would have been a time, you know, that it could have worked out. But again, this is part of the problem as well. Like why the fact that they're playing in Qatar is already an issue. It it should have been, you know, two-legged game and I think it would have been way more fun as well. The Australians, the, and, and this is what I think, I was talking to a friend about this as well. I think part of the problem with Australians not getting behind their national team is that because Australia is now part of the Asian Confederation, no one gets to see them play because they're playing all their friendlies against Arab countries, which like is not a bad thing because they're good teams to play against and they're at a really good skill level for Australia to play against. But we never get to see them play. No one has a connection to anyone, anyone on the team. People have a connection to the women's team because they have so many friendlies in Australia, but no one has it, and no one sees the Socceroos play. But that's uh, that's also, I mean, uh, catch twenty two because if you rewind the clock even back, um, even further, it was always a case of oh, we're sick and tired of playing in Oceania. We don't play enough games. Uh, competitive games where we've been in the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu and Absolutely. our only competitive match is, is New Zealand. We want to break away and, and, and join the Asian Confederation. Now you're playing in Asia and you're still competing. Yeah, and, and that's the issue um, though, is that yeah. those Asian countries don't want to come to Australia, which I think is selfish and it's unfair. And I, I think with the amount of Peruvians that are here, South Americans in general, I think that if they had played the game in a two-legged tie uh, and they would have played here in Australia, that game would have been sold out and it would have been loud and it would have been probably one of the best games to attend to in Australian football. 
well, that's in the hands of FIFA, um, you know, football fans around the world probably unanimously agree that FIFA uh, just, you know, they're, they are a, a mystery, they're, they're, you scratch your head, you know, um, it's just no logic behind the decisions that they make, yeah, I mean, definitely. even going back last Friday, um, going to the courts, the tribunal, the whole saga between, you know, regarding Byron Castillo, he's actually born in Colombia. I mean, how, how on earth do you feel the player um, who's got falsified documents, and um, which is a legitimate argument for Chile, and um, FIFA just completely turned a blind eye. Personally, I wasn't a fan of it. Still, I still believe that Ecuador won it on the pitch, but at least you know, um, show some precedent, and um, it's just a slap on the wrist, you know, and, um, and 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 punish the player, you know, um, or or, or yeah. let Ecuador play this World Cup, but give them give them a points deduction for qualifying for for the twenty twenty six World Cup in, in Canada, U, the US, and Mexico. Uh, which that is a World Cup I'm definitely excited about, the Qatar one. Um, yeah, me too. I'm can, very, very excited for that one. Yeah. And 100%. I think a lot of people are. I think it feels it feels like it's going to be a, a, a nicer one to go to. I know for me, as a woman, I would not be excited to go to Qatar. Um, you've got Hispanics. You've got Latinos in Canada, the US, and Mexico. You have... Latinos, we love football. Uh, the US, I mean, the white population, the women's game is, is king, uh, arguably the best football nation in the women's game. The US have massive stadiums. They've got all the technology in the world. They've got airports, you know. They've got the demographics. You've got flights coming in. You can fly in from Sydney to Los Angeles and then you can fly into Mexico City Guadalajara, and then you can go to Dallas, for all I care, Miami, Boston, New York, and then go to Chicago, and then you're off to Toronto and, and Vancouver. So you can connect and fly. So it's that's definitely a big tick over a country, and, and no disrespect to Qatar, but it's tiny. Um, all, all the stadiums, I believe, for this year's World Cup, um, are situated like I think it's like they're all within a, a 45 um, kilometre radius, 50 kilometre radius, something like that. So they're all close to each other. Um, and there's the other point is they've got they've got a big accommodation, uh, you know, issue. Not problems with accommodation. It's not a, there's not enough hotels to cater for the visitors, um, and they're very expensive, exorbitant prices. And they're even thinking. Crazy yeah, the as well. So crazy. Uh, that's another cash cow. And then you think about, you know, there's even the thought of uh, popping up tents, you know, in the middle of the desert. Forget it. As far as I know, that's it's a, a very very poor election. Then that's another topic. And also, altogether, I know. think part of the problem as well is like it's just right in the middle of the footballing season, <laughs> like right at the start of the season. You know, you've got the World Cup. You got to stop your season so we can we watch could the World be watching Cup. it like, right now. Correct. So we could be watching it right now. Calendar. Um, so yeah, a lot of talking points there, um, and and as you say, it's 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 sad that you know uh, 
Marcelo Carrusca brings it up, but he, he's being honest. I mean, at least he's pointing out, yeah, the game was played at 3 a.m. Only diehard fans will wake up and watch the game. Um, but also, he's not in Sydney and Melbourne. And, and Sydney, I, you know, I gather they did they did watch the game at a public, uh, you know, they had, place um, in Melbourne. They would have had the Star Casino open for them to watch the game. At Melbourne, they had Federation Square showing the game, which is great. I think that's, that's really great to see. But I heard... So a friend of mine lives in Adelaide and she was saying that the casino in Adelaide closes at 5 a.m. So they wouldn't have even been able to watch the penalties or extra time or anything. So there was no public place in Adelaide really to be watching the game. Well, I, I recall you know, back in 2009 I was at Fed Square. Um, I had a couple of drinks with a mate of mine and um, – we were there, you know, okay, hey, look, the, the announcement's coming up from FIFA and we went up to the to the big screen and um, mind you, I'm, I'm a Sydney boy, you know, lost in Melbourne for 11 years, lived in Melbourne and uh, I'm just looking at the board at the giant screen and I'm like, Australia's not going to get it. There's no way they're going to get it. There's just not enough money to entice, you know, those corrupt cronies at FIFA to, to bring the tournament to Australia. And then they announced Russia and Qatar. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, enough said. I think at least Russia has, it's a big, big country with the cities very spread apart. But I think from what it seems, everyone was saying that they felt that Russia was like a really, really good venue and a really good host. So at least. They, they love yeah. their football. But then you think, you know, in a geopolitical sense, look at them yeah, now definitely. and they're there. They're bombing the hell out of the Ukraine, and, and to think that four years earlier they hosted a yeah. World Cup, um, yeah, so I just find it disgusting. You know? and, and and no fault for Russians, you know. Imagine your, I mean, it happened in tennis. You know, Russian tennis players banned from playing Wimbledon. It's not their fault um, to be banned. It's not, it's not the Russian national team's fault. The Russian women's team also kicked out of the Euros, and Portugal taking their place. Yeah. Portugal taking their place, so it's 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 not their fault, you know, to, to, to be stuck in the middle of, of geopolitics. But it's it's happened before, um, you know, especially with the breakup of the former Yugoslavia, uh, FIFA banned them for, for USA '94, and that was one hell of a team. Uh, I guarantee guarantee you that team uh, probably could have done some serious damage in USA '94. That was basically Montenegro. Serbia, uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, you know, Macedonia, Croatia, all in one mega team. You know, that was one hell of a team. Alan Boxic, Davos Šuker, Dejan Savicevic, uh, Dragan Stojkovic, uh, Igor Tudor, uh, big names, and, and they all broke up. You know, this mega team all broken up into six, seven. Uh, Slovenia as well, six, seven. Countries, so um, and, and that's that's a terrible price that you pay for war. And FIFA's always in the middle, of, you know, in the thick of it, you know, trying to, you know, stick their noses in the middle of it. Um, sure, what else is there to to blab on about? Um, on, so on so the one thing I just really wanted to say is that I know that everybody hates Graham Arnold. 
and everyone's been giving him so much flack and whatever. And a, a lot of people in Australia also are not fans of Andrew Redmayne. No one thinks that he's a good goalkeeper. Um, now, I'm a Sydney FC supporter, Andrew Redmayne and Graham Arnold both. Um, so Graham Arnold coached Sydney FC for three years and Andrew Redmayne is the current goalkeeper for Sydney FC. I love Andrew Redmayne. I love him. I think he is one of the nicest people in the footballing world. He is one of the nicest people I have ever met. Um, he's just a really, really good person. Um, I think when he came to Sydney at the start, you know, there's a really incredible story that's out right now that uh, written by Emma Kemp for The Guardian um, talking about his story and basically how he was at... Great writer. Yes, great, great writer. writer. Um, the, basically, you know, he was at Western Sydney Wanderers, which is the rival team, and then he was on the verge of retiring and working uh, and going to work at a friend's cafe, um, Sydney FC, uh, and Western Sydney do a swap deal. So they take our former keeper, Vedran Janjanovic, um, and we take Andrew Redmayne because Janjanovic did not want to sit on the bench while Danny Vukovic um, got the starting position as goalkeeper. So Janjanovic left, he went to the Wanderers, and we took Andrew Redmayne. Andrew Redmayne came in as a stick um, and just underweight and not in his prime. Um, at the time, we had John Crawley, um, who is goalkeeper coach at the moment for the national team, um, played in Chile uh, for Colo Colo. Um, and he. Colo Colo, Lota Schwager, yeah, he, um, uh, Magallanes as well. He took, in the early 90s. took Andrew Redmayne again, because he trained him when he was a child, uh, took him again, transformed him into this insane goalkeeper. And in his. Like first proper start with us after Danny Vukovic had left for Belgium, um, he had a real he had a standout season, and all the Western Sydney Wanderers fans were like, "Where was he for us? How did how come we didn't get him?" You know, and it's like this is the difference between having a goalkeeper coach who cares and who knows what they're doing, and one that maybe doesn't, um, and he. He, um, at 33, debuted for Australia. You know, Graham Arnold knew the kind of player he was and, and debuted him. And I just, beautiful story. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not too late as a goalkeeper um, to start at 33. I mean, in, in Uruguay this week, um, at the Centenario, they, they played a friendly against Panama and, um, and it was uh, Sebastián Sosa at 35, he played in the Uruguay under-17 and 20 national teams alongside Fernando Muslera. And he finally made his senior debut. The, the, um, he came on as a substitute um, around about the 70-minute mark. And um, as he walked on, he couldn't contain his emotion. He was crying, uh, emotion. And that, that's how much it means for, for them, for Uruguay. Um so it's never too late at 35. And obviously for, for goalkeepers, you can stretch it into your early 40s if you take care you know, of yourself. I go back to, yeah, I don't know, maybe 2012, no, 2014 maybe, 2015. And I remember Andrew Redmayne, at, at, I think it was uh, Melbourne Heart, yeah. the, old, 
the old franchise before, you know, uh, being snapped up by the City Group. Um, and he was very subpar, very, very, very ordinary. Uh, raised a lot of eyebrows, you know, just, yeah, not not at his best. Um, I'm not saying he never tried, um, but uh, just not not quite there at A-League a level. And um, as you say, John Crawley, the goalkeeper coach, who can really get the best out of out of uh, players, and um, and yeah, you know, it's it's not magic. It doesn't happen overnight. It's it's a lot of hard work and training and sacrifice. And there he is, um, you know. Fast forward to twenty twenty two. I think for me, I'm I'm really happy for him because. You know, a lot of people online always give him so much crap saying he shouldn't have been selected, he should never be in the team, he shouldn't even be playing for Sydney FC. And, you know, a, a lot of it is opposition fans, but even, you know, some some Sydney FC fans have been saying that he hasn't been great. And maybe he, this season wasn't his best season. He's only human, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm really, really happy that he was the one to, you know, I guess, make history for Australia. He really made himself become the national hero that no one ever expected. But also kudos to um, kudos to Matt Ryan for not knowing he was going to be subbed off and just... That's what I was going to yeah. ask you. What was your reaction? Oh, I, mean, I was laughing. As you say. I, I, was, I was in yeah. shock. I was like, Redders is going to come on the field. He's going to... I was like, is Matt Ryan injured? Like, what happened? And no, no. it was just pure yeah. When, when I when I saw that, it reminded me of Louis Van Gaal. Um, I don't remember exactly where it was in Brazil in the World Cup. Probably in because I remember it was raining, probably in Fortaleza or in Cuiabá. Um, and this was a quarter final, I think, against uh, maybe against Costa Rica. Uh, don't exactly remember. And, um, yeah, the, the minutes uh, are, are closer to full time, uh, add extra time, and Van, Van Gaal switches off Jan uh, uh, Silesen, who at the time was at Barcelona, or Ajax, and then the, the, the following season goes to Barcelona and brings on Tony Krull of Norwich City, great uh, goalkeeper. And everyone's like, wow, what a, what a, what a masterpiece. Uh, you know, um, uh, tactical move, and, and it was solely on, on the on the on the decision on the basis of of, uh, of the penalty shootout. He makes himself big, and it, it also plays mind games, and um, it certainly worked against uh, Peru. But let's talk about Peru, because um, personally, I find that this match. I mean, if we go back to the UAE match. I find that Rodolfo Arroarena, um, Vasco, he blew it. He blew the game away. You've got he had three really more technical players able to to you know cause some real damage to Australia, and he brings them on on the 85th minute. I mean, it's hard enough, you know, on a Sunday league game to come on and and, and adapt um, to the match, you know, to get into the match. You're not going to make you know magic in five minutes, um, or with the urgency of finding a, an equaliser. 
um, let alone for a spot at the World Cup. Um, so he blew the game, and I find that, that was the same with Peru. Uh, Gareca didn't quite read the game. Uh, was it a case of Peru not, you know, not sticking to their game plan, or maybe their game plan just backfired? Because if you look at today, um, Costa Rica, you know, congratulations to all, all our you know, Costa Rica fans. Pura Vida, fascinating, great country, Costa Rica. And congratulations to, to Australian former soccer guru, Jerry Gomez, of course, a Costa Rican Australian. Um, you know, they, they got past New Zealand 1-0, so they, they're the 32nd national team in the World Cup. They got an early goal in the second minute. Yeah. Do you think that Gareca's plan I think they didn't even have a game plan. I heard that they arrived three days before the game, did not take a walk around the field, and did not train for the game in in Qatar. So I honestly think they had no game plan. They went in so arrogant, saying, it's just Australia, we're going to win. Who are they? They're not a footballing country. And we have 12,000 fans here. They have maybe 100. And I think that's I think that's why a lot of Australians are very like aggressively arrogant to the Peruvians right now um, because they were like arrogance. And yeah, you know, I think I think Advincula. I, I feel bad for him because obviously he missed the penalty. It happened, um, but I think he played a really good game. You know, running up and down the the, the left hand side. I think he played well. I think Carillo is one player that. I love but get so frustrated with because he or he thinks he's the best and then he does nothing. Um, you know, it was very frustrating to see him on the field and then, you know, he was getting subbed off early and I said to my dad, I was like, I was like, why, why is he getting taken off? And my dad goes, because he's not doing anything. So I was like, well, yeah, that's true. Um, Lapadula was shut down every instance that he had the ball. And I think it's so funny that Kai Rose, this boy from Kayama who plays for the Mariners, was able to shut down, you know, Peru's, one of Peru's best players. Um, and I'm sure he's probably feeling like a king right now as well, as he should. He played great. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Peru just went in very arrogant. And I feel, I feel for, the, for the people of Peru who went to the game, who, you know, who watched the game, because it's like they're going to they, they're gonna want their team to play with with their heart, you know. They, they want the team to play with passion. And that team that was on that field played with nothing. They played like it was a training session, and it was disappointing. Disappointing, and um, I found it disappointing with Gareca just 15 minutes in. And Peru's playing Australia's game. They're whipping the ball long. They're trying to outpace the Australians. Um, you know, playing, just belting the ball out wide and trying to outrun the Australians. And you're not going to beat the Australians in their own game. The Aussies, you know, if there's one virtue from the Aussie game, well, two virtues, one that they're very mentally strong um, and they'll They'll give anyone a fight. Uh, they're physically very strong and they're very fast. 
technically technically not very sound, but uh, yeah, they're big and tall. You're not going to whip in long balls. You've got defenders who are averaging a meter eighty-five above plus. Um, you know, slow the game down and play the ball on the ground. Um, play one, two touch, hold the ball, keep possession. Play the tiki taka that they seem to and, claim, and, and draw draw the markers in. Uh, but uh, ah. Oh, more of a one of the other tiki is dead. What is tiki it's, it's always been possession football's always existed since the twenties and thirties. Uh, it's you know, whoever invented that terminology. But um, but no, but you you know what you mean, and um, you know what I mean. And, uh, that's exactly it. You know, that's that's Peru's game. You know, to to play. There was a lot of high balls, and I was so confused. Correct. I was like, "You're tiny." You look like a midget next to them. You're not going to get the header. Yeah, that's not it's common sense, you know. It's it's not Peru's game. La Padula's going to fight for every ball, but, mate, if you're playing the one striker up front, it doesn't help. Who who surprised you for Australia and who surprised you for for um, for Peru or, or disappointed you? For Peru? Who surprised me for Australia? Um Probably, as weird as it sounds, Aaron Moy, um, because Aaron Moy has not played for like six months. He's without a club at the moment, I'm pretty sure. He just hasn't played. Oh, um, Aaron Moy is absolute world class. Yeah, um, Aaron Moy really surprised me, mostly because, yeah, like he's just not match out, ready. He hasn't played. Yeah, and, and also out of position. Yeah. He's playing really much more deeper um, in front of the back line. Um, which, if you want, rewind the clock back. Uh, in that holding role was Mile Yedinak. Um, you know, or, or like in Argentina, the concept of the doble cinco. Um, so, because Aramoy is not the kind of player who's going to put a foot in. He's not going to. He's not going to tackle. Yeah. You know, he's not going to put in a foot. In, a foot in, but he he will definitely. Uh, you know, definitely ping. You know, short and long balls. He's very. He's a very good distributor of the ball. Um, he, he knows exactly how to give you that ball behind the back of the defence. You know, splitting pass, um, and he can dictate the the tempo. But yeah, you can do that. But use him. Use him further up front. You know, um, possibly closer to to Aiden Rustic. But yeah, it's a lot more. Lot more deep. Yeah. So Aaron Moy. Um, so kudos, kudos to Moy. Yeah. Who else? Um, I want to say Jamie McLaren disappointed me, um, but that's also not surprising. I, uh, I might get hated on for this, but I find Jamie McLaren when he wears that national team jersey so disappointing. I find him so overrated. He. I forgot that he was even subbed on at one point because I just didn't even so, even see him. So he's not an international footballer, more of a club. Yeah, like club footballer. I, I question him a lot. I think um, he plays for Melbourne City and he scores goals, 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 goals. Right, all tap ins, but they're goals. Goals are a goal. He scores a lot of goals for Melbourne City, but when he was in Scotland, like he couldn't couldn't compete. I'd like to see him go to Japan. I think Japan would be a good challenge for him because um, he's quick as well. But I don't know. Yeah, but Japan's a lot more technical. Yeah. 
far more technical. I just I'd, when you look at Japan, I'd like to see him challenged a bit yeah. more. I think right now he's playing in a league that is too easy for him. I think the A League is too he's above the A League, but maybe not at a European level yet. I don't know. I, but if you struggle, if you, if you struggle to Scotland, I mean, forget yeah, it. Yeah, I just I'd like to see him challenged not, some more. He's not challenged in Australia. That's the problem, and I think that. You can see that when he plays for the national team because he doesn't doesn't do much for the national team. Um, but Kai Rose, I've, I've been saying this for a while, but quietly to myself, I, I really like Kai Rose. I think he's been a really solid defender for a long time. Um, when he played against Barcelona in the All-Star squad, he played really well, and I felt like I was the only one saying that, but I think he did really well. And then obviously this game, he ends up being you know, the Socceroos player of the match. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Kai Rose. I, I think he's he's good, and I really hope he does well over in Scotland as well. On that on that point, um, on that note, um, two weeks ago, uh, Barcelona, personally, I find it, I don't know, probably a little pointless, but... Um, they hopped on a plane and flew on a charter flight direct to Sydney to play an exhibition match against this concept of an all-stars team. And um, and guess what? The eight leagues were all-star team, gave Barcelona uh, a good run for their money, a good match. Um, it was an even match uh, with Dwight York debuting, uh, managing the team. Uh, what was your thought on thoughts on that um i did mind you i did watch the game uh you think you know you're in south america you're not going to watch the game yes it is broadcast um and you know you think there's football fans in australia who can't be bothered turning up to a local domestic league match but then if barcelona turn up to sydney there's 75 you know thousand fans at the stadium because it's Barcelona and many would think uh, you know it's it's a no-brainer Barcelona's going to smash this all-star team and that's not the case you know the all-stars showed that they're they're competitive obviously it's a mixture of of players of home and and overseas born players uh, imports to the league they they match them Uh, your thoughts I mean I'm I'm definitely excited for that young Young boy, um, can't remember his name right now. <laughs> um, I I enjoyed the game. Um, I went to the game. I was there supporting the A League All Stars because um, I want to give it to the the Euro snobs. Um, I I think Australia did well. The thing that I hate about these friendlies um, is how much of a divide it creates between the A League fans and then the European fans, and it's just it. This is the problem within Australia is that people would rather support a team that they have to get up at 3 a.m. to watch rather than support a team that's in their backyard. And I hate that because that, that's your league. Support your league. But, but hey, hang on. But hang on, hang on. It's, it's not just a problem in Australia. Uh, in Brazil, we're talking, in my eyes, the biggest football nation in the world. And their domestic league is in dire straits. They're currently in talks for a breakaway league because there's no money. Um, and they've, they've, they've formed this new financial group, the Libra, Libra group. 
and they basically want to do what they've done in Australia um, with the A-League and create an independent uh, organisation to run the league. So what they want to do in Brazil is an independent body to run the same clubs but with a different financial model. Why? Because there's also the same issue. And you can't compare Flamengo or Palmeiras. They've got over 40, 50, 60 million fans, you know. But, but surprisingly, they also pull on an Arsenal shirt, a Chelsea shirt, and they watch the Premier League. You know? So it's not just an Australian problem. It's a global. It's globalized. It's a global problem. It's a, it's an issue in Asia, obviously. You know, for the Premier League, if it's not for Asia, there's no yeah. Premier League. But it's, it's an issue worldwide. But, you know, I think you're on the money there. And it's, it's always been, you mentioned the, the, the concept or the term of Euro snob. <laughs> and I think that, that explains, I mean, that's, yeah. that explains everything. Yeah. yeah. I just, I so this game I was excited for because I, I did want to see Barcelona play. Um, I'm kind of, uh, Australia has this obsession with bringing all these UK teams to the country and, Unless it's Arsenal, I won't watch. Like, I don't care about them. But the I was excited because I was like, okay. It... Yeah, but hang on, hang on. But hang on, that's that's because Australia is part of the Commonwealth. It's got it's got cultural ties to the UK. It's got loose cultural always ties. Been the case. It's got cultural ties where they think they have cultural ties to it. They've got strong ties, got the same language, you know. Grandchildren and great-grandchildren are all of English or Scottish. The ties are very strong. Half the people who support these teams have no tie to that team. Yeah, but it's, like... it's, still, it's still the surroundings. It's still mainstream culture. In Australia, you've got people who've got no idea about football, but they know the English game. Or you've got people who like or play rugby league or AFL, but their grandparents were born in England. They migrated to Australia and they were, they, when they were kids. They were born, you know, and... and uh, whether in Birmingham or London, they were West Ham fans when they were kids because it's it's passed on by family. It's inherited until 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 they move to Australia. A very that's a very rare concept at the moment. Right now, it, there is none of that. Like the people that I know and the people that go to these games have no ties to these teams. They just like them. Yeah, because it sells. You know, jerseys sell, you know, merchandise sells, doesn't it? But I was excited for the Barcelona team because I was like, okay, yeah, maybe for the first time there will be some. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. But I was like, maybe there'll be some noise at this game. You know, maybe mm-hmm. people will come. You know, there's Spanish people who live here. There's got to be some Barcelona fans who want to see Catalan, Catalan um, fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's still other Spanish people who are probably fans. Um, and. There, there was nothing. The, the stadium was silent. It was a library. I was whispering, you know. I, I was like, this sucks. Like, this atmosphere is actually terrible. I feel like I'm at a rugby league It goes game. back to what you're saying um, in Socceroos, you know. It's, it's just cold. Yeah. It's stale. It's quiet. It's like you It's almost like you're going to the theatre. Well, the Socceroos games, at least they have noise. Like, we bring noise to the games. Um, it's just these friendlies because – the people who run the active groups for the clubs don't want to be involved in this stuff because then opposition fans just come in, try and take over, and they'll sing their own songs as opposed to you following mean, like the A-League clubs. what we do. So, yeah, if there's a game against an A-League club, um, so, for example, Celtic was supposed to come to Australia. I don't know if that's still going okay. on. Um, but 
Um, managed. There was a game that was managed by Australia. Sydney. By yeah, so Sydney FC, Sydney FC versus uh, mm-hmm. Celtic. But they gave, and they have a section for the Cove, which is the um, the active yep. group for CFC. Yep. section where and someone that I know, um, you know, gets involved <laughs> in antisocial behaviour anyway. Yeah. Um, and then they've done it all wrong. You know, they've, they've put the tickets up for the Cove for $70, which is insane uh, for one. Um, but the problem is a lot of the times when the Cove has gone to these friendlies, um, they just get overrun by, for example, this will just get overrun by Rangers fans and Rangers fans will just start singing their own songs and everyone hates it. So, so, so Sydney FC fans who are also tied yeah. to their Scottish heritage and they're Rangers fans. No. Or just or just no. Rangers fans who have never, just Rangers never fans. turned up to a game and they turn up to this yeah. game. Okay, got you. And they'll just show up and they'll start doing mm. the thing. It happened at a at a Chelsea game, I believe, um, which was the last time the Cove went uh, to a friendly. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a constant battle, you know, not just between the codes in Australia but also the leagues in Australia. Like people who support the NPL cannot support the A-League, you know, and people who... For, for our viewers, for our, sorry, for our listeners, um, the NPL is the second tier... Run, run by the state federation, yeah. so it's it's like the unofficial second division in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so NPL teams, NPL fans, you know, old school NSL fans, which was the former National League, the National Soccer League, um, they won't support the A League. And then people who support the Premier League won't support the A League. And people who are, you know, of a different background won't support the A League. And it's like, but why, like? Why why is everything so well, difficult? Like why does it have I'll to tell be- you I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, because there's still animosity, even if it's twenty or thirty years on, because they the old NSL clubs got completely wiped off the map. Um, and a new breakaway league was, was created. Uh, okay, that happened. But the the thing that really hurts the old NSL clubs is that they weren't given any recognition in history, even statistics. Um, you know, they were not considered at all. You know, it's like, oh, such and such and such is the you know Australian club league uh, record goal scorer, and he's not because they're not adding the goals from the NSL. They're just including the A League. So that's that's from from the NSL perspective. That's what hurts them the most. They've been completely shafted and and and. and um, Deleted. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I was speaking speaking to this about this to someone else, and I was saying that I enjoy going to you know those old NSL clubs. Like, I enjoy going to the NPL games, but my problem is every time I go, there's always an issue. They're always just staring at us. They never make us feel welcomed into going to their grounds. We're not allowed to be there. It's an academy kids only or old people only event. Like I'm not allowed to go and support. RPLI card. I'm not allowed to go and support Marconi. Like I'm, I hate that this is what they think that they think that they're like they gatekeeping the game. You know, I want. Oh, to go. Why do you think that's the case? I have no why idea. Do you think that happens? I I went to an RPA game and with a friend. Um, Which for our listeners, just a bit of context: the RPA 
Leichhardt Club is a, a very strong Italian community backed club. Yeah. Which history with, with the Italians. Mm-hmm. So we went to the stadium, like, well, they ground, and there was no one at the door. So we were like, where do we get tickets from? Because you still have to pay. And we're fine with that. I'm happy to support these clubs. And there was no one at the door. So we walk in and we're looking around and this guy goes, you have to pay. And I was like, hey, you know, you go, hey, you have to pay. Yeah, he was, Who do you think you are? Show me the money. Yeah. And he was like, you need to pay. And I was like, yeah, okay, where do we go? And we're being really polite. Um, and he's, he just points like, he's like, oh, in there. And so we go into the club shop. You know, we pay. The guy looked mad at us for some reason. Um, we got the ticket. We didn't know what we're supposed to do with it. So we kept walking and the guy goes, you have to give me the ticket. If you want to go out again, then you have to come back and see me. And I was like, all right then. So then we just kept walking and we go and sit down and there's kids running everywhere and they're supposed to be the ball boys and they're not even giving the balls to the players. They're just getting in the way of the assistant referee. And so we move away and it was just like a nightmare to be there. It was like, why is this so difficult to feel welcomed at an MPL club? Um, that's I've, I've gone to Manly United games, which is another team, um, which is a lot closer to where I live. And they, they tend to be a lot nicer um, at that ground. I don't know why, but it was I had no issues going there. Um, but this one game was just, I had never felt so unwelcomed to go to a game before. And like, I'm not even wearing merchandise from any, any of the teams. I'm just in a black hoodie and a black jacket because it was cold. And I'm getting stared at like I don't belong there. And it was the worst experience. Cold, unwelcoming, um, probably hostile uh, you know, at best. Yeah, I, look, um, I mean, mind you, for our listeners, I, I did play for Apialaka when I was young, my other 12s. Um, I didn't get much game time, surprise, surprise, because the other goalkeeper was the younger brother of the first-team goalkeeper. Um, so I left midway through the season. Um, but it's a club that, um, yeah, prides itself with, uh, with the Italian community. It's produced uh, some, some great talent over the years. But, um, well, which, uh, yeah, takes me to just just reminds me, uh, what's their striker, uh, Romero? Yeah, Jason, Jason Romero. Jason Romero, he's from the States, Mexican, US Mexican, Latino, I don't know, maybe he's from California. Um, scoring for fun, I imagine. Yeah, he's he's a good player. Yeah, so that that, that just gives a bit of a, I guess, a bit of background, a bit of a context of, of life in the second tier of Australian football. I wanted to also ask you, um, going back to the Peru game. Yeah. And was there anything you felt that uh, Peru should have done? Perhaps, uh, I don't know, or, or perhaps any player that uh, could have been called up. For me, Raul Ruidias, uh, he scores for fun yeah. in, the, in the MLS, he was snubbed. Anyone? Yeah. Um, I think it's a shame that Yotun, Yoshi Yotun was out. Um, 
I, I think they needed him and I think they were really missing him in, in the game. But yeah, I think Rudias is, I don't know, he's world-class, great player. Um, not sure why he wasn't on the team. Overlooked uh, as, as for Australia, but the case of Tom Rogic who cited for personal reasons and pulled out of the team. Um, I got the feeling, I don't know, I just didn't find... Uh, Maybe Bruno Fornaroli should have been called up. Uh, he would have understood, you know, what it meant to play against Uruguay had he come on, because uh, he, he understands, you know, South American football, given that he's Uruguayan and he's a national, he's an Australian national now. But he, he was called up for, you know, earlier um, two matches prior, and then uh, you know, and then completely snubbed. Um, and there's a. I've been wondering what's what's with Massimo Luongo. Um, he hasn't been in the fray for a while now. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen him for a very long time. Um, he's playing in League One, mm-hmm. I believe. So England's third at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I I wonder if that hurts his chances. Um, I'm not sure how much game time he's getting either so mind you longo um, i didn't know thanks to jerry gomez um a costa rican former australian international he said to me that uh his grassroots club um, it's the same grassroots club uh, where i started where i first kicked the ball officially as a registered player at age seven um, for those of you who know sydney um their suburbs used to play for sydney astrolabe uh, just located in Pagewood, um, close to close to East Gardens Westfield Shopping Centre, uh, and there's another, probably another, yeah, two more uh, well-known, you know, one known in the MPL, uh, Anthony Dumanis. We also used to play together, and one other name. Uh, take a guess. He ended up playing for the All Whites. We started the same same club. Westwood? Andrew Durante, we went. Oh, oh, you did tell me this. We, yeah, we went to the same school. Obviously, five years older than me, but we also started the uh, same grassroots club. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I didn't know. Mas Mas Luongo also came from that club, and then also developed at Apia Leichhardt. Speaking of uh, Apia Leichhardt, yeah, I don't know personally. I I always uh, had this. Yeah, just, just I don't know this dodgy kind of feeling it up in my car. Like, I mean, I'm not going to get into details, but we all know what the mafia is. And um, let's just say they're not, mm, they're not particularly fond of taxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say this about Mass. I think Mass Malongo is, I think he had a really good game against Colombia. They played a friendly um, at Craven Cottage years ago. Yes. And he had, probably one of the best games that I've ever seen him play. And after that, I was like, yes, like Massimo Luongo, I'm on the hype train, you know. And then creative player. after that, he just kind of, I don't know, just it all went downhill, I guess, and, and nothing came from it. And he, you know, continued to only play in League One. He never moved up. Um, he played a lot at QPR, uh, Queens Park Rogers. So I think... I don't know. It's just it's it's a very interesting 
situation because someone else like in one of the group chats I have was like, why isn't Luongo being called up? And I was like, probably because he's just not doing enough to be called up. Just out of favour or just, I mean, out of yeah. form. I mean, I mean that's, that's basically it. You've got to be, ideally, you've got to call up the, the players who are in form. You're not, you're not, you're not calling up names. Um, let's switch, you know, to our final, I guess, topic before we, we blow the whistle full time. The... Um, Europa, the UEFA Nations League. You're a fan of it because I've been saying this on the show. I am a fan of it. Why? Because uh, I mean, there's mixed reasons, but why am I a fan of it? Because you're no longer seeing 10, 11, 12 little druggings. You're not seeing Germany play San Marino. You're not seeing the Faroe Islands getting smashed by France or Spain. So you're seeing Faroe Islands play San Marino or Liechtenstein. Or Andorra, they're playing against each other according to their level, to their tier. And the best thing about it, England gets smashed. I mean, I'm the happiest man on earth when England <laughs> gets smashed, um, which they did, by the way, today. Yeah. Most to nil to Hungarians. Um, now, um, your thoughts on the Nations League? I mean, it does, yeah, you know, it does disrupt also the, the FIFA friendly calendar because it means that European teams are now booked out you can't book them in for a friendly what's what's your take on the on the nation's league and then probably i mean you know if you want to preview the uh, the women's uh, euros as well um personally i don't really care about it um i <laughs> so you're around... like kevin de bruyne yeah you just you like kevin de bruyne i don't care about it honestly like the, the thing for football for me is that I like to have a team that I can support in it. And, like, I got nothing in Europe, you know. I've got no no ties to it. Um, I mean, if I went way, way back, yes, I would have some ties to it. But, like, I don't really care much for it. I think maybe because I'm surrounded by so many Europeans um, here in Australia and they're so loud and annoying um, that maybe it also just for me, I'm like, I want nothing to do with you. Like I don't want to watch you and support you Um, live your life, go for it. But like, I don't care. Um, So yeah, like, I don't know. I don't really care much for it. Look, the UEFA Nations League, I know what you mean. I mean, if there's no, there's no lineage, there's no heritage or, tie to, to, to Europe does uh, draw you away from it. But um, no, I, I just I just like the concept of, of the of the tiers and rankings. So there's promotion yeah. relegation. Uh, I think that's brilliant. And I think, you know, as, as CONCACAF also copied that model for, for, for the lesser teams, the developing teams. And we're not going to see, like I said, San Marino playing England anymore. Even though San Marino, ah, I'll never forget, you know, when I was about eight years old, 1993 at Wembley and San Marino straight from kickoff and they scored a goal and these are part timers <laughs> bus drivers and psychologists and teachers and whatnot you know it's played during the afternoons and they were one nil up against England 1993 <laughs> and then England England won six or seven one uh, but that one goal was all the difference in the goal 
goal difference to deny England a spot to the World Cup. I mean, I'm the happiest man on earth. <laughs> That's Just so like the USA in 94, every World Cup with, with England out. But um, no, but Holland also, I think it was against Norway, and Ronald, Ronald Koeman scored his belter of a free kick and, and he was out. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents on, on the three lines. I just like real quick, I think the like I think something that, that frustrates me a lot as well is that a lot of people in Europe and here as well in Australia believe like club over country. So Yes, well our co host Farouk Farouk Arol, he, he dreads it. He hates international football. Yeah, heaps <laughs> of people do. And for me, like I disagree. I think country over club. I think representing your country is the highest honour and I think people need to respect that more. And I don't think there are any Australians. Oh, I think there's a few Australians, but I don't think many Australians respect that and respect the country enough. And whether or not that's because, you know, all, you know, history and everything, you know, the fact that we're under the monarchy, the fact that there are still so many Indigenous Australians living here who aren't respected um so they don't have a tie to the country and they don't care about the national team um so i think there's a a lot of this like weird like in between of yes we're australian but also like we're not really and the country's so multicultural that i think a lot of people feel just in this weird like imbalance um whereas i love knowing that so many south americans you know, when they get their call up, it's the most important thing in the world, you know, and it's, uh, it's an honor to play for your country. And I wish, I wish more people would, would get that as well. Well, and also players like uh, Ben Brereton or Gianluca Labadula who who get, or or, um, uh, Masatu now, you know, for Chile, Belgian, half Moroccan, uh, you know, they get called up to play for the country of their mother or father and, and they just they jump at it and go and play because it's international football. And what you're saying resonates a lot and will we'll pay particular attention to Canada and the US at this World Cup uh, at the end of the year because um, Canada is the same. I mean, if you look at Canadian football, Canadian soccer, uh, Toronto is where it's at. That's where they play most of the game. And Toronto, much like Sydney and Melbourne, is a very cultural, multicultural city and um, got you know, communities from, from all over the world. So, you know, when it comes to the World Cup, they're not used to following Canada. They go for Italy or they go for Greece or they go yeah. for Chile or Argentina. And same with the US. Uh, but now they've got their, their own country in the World Cup. Um, so it makes for interesting, you know, um, yeah, observations and, and, and debates. Um, Michelle, you're... Um, just one last one for your take on, on the, the upcoming UEFA Women's Euros. Ooh. I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, England is hosting the Euros. Um, so they've got a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of pressure. They have a lot of pressure because I believe they came third in the Women's World Cup in France. Um well, they at least got to the semis or something like that. They, they got to the semis, yeah. yeah. I don't remember either. No, they, they did um, well, at least in, in the World Cup. And they're really pushing themselves to be this, like, footballing powerhouse. And I believe that they, they will get there. 
I believe this is probably their best chance at winning a Euros. I think this is their chance to win it. Um, I think France and Sweden are always going to be two teams to watch out for because they're always just really, really good. Um, yeah, for the record, England, I remember now, lost to the US in the semifinal. Yes, yeah. So the US um, finalists. And I think Spain is one of those teams that, you know, they're half of their players or most of their players uh, all play on the same team at Barcelona. Um, so I think an advantage that they have is that they're all used to playing with each other anyway. So they've got that. But um, we did see Barcelona just get outplayed by Lyon um, in the Champions League as well. So they are beatable, um, but I think they will have a very strong backing as well. They'll still have a lot of their supporters. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Those are my four top teams, I believe. So England, France, Sweden and Spain are going to be the top. The Netherlands, obviously, they're another good team as well. They will be looking to retain the trophy as they won it in the last Euros. Um, yeah, they're, they're I don't know. I haven't seen them play in a while, tournament. to be honest. So I'm not sure where they're at at the moment. Yes, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, they haven't haven't really gelled, but um, when it comes to major tournaments, um, that's I mean, that's 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 when proper players, you know, real players step up. Um, yeah, I look, I I just think that. I'm with you, you know. I think England's got a lot of pressure to, to perform. Um, they have to perform. Um, they're getting right behind the, the women's game. And um, and they start against the Netherlands. Um, you know. um, so I think they've got, they've got a friendly, I'm not sure. So, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be big. Um, you mentioned earlier Russia got, you know, Removed um, for for um, Portugal, so yes, um, it's. I mean, they're they're in Group C with Switzerland, Portugal, and and, um, and Sweden. So you think Netherlands and Sweden will get out of uh, Group C, get out alive? Um, so Group A, we've got England, Austria, Norway, Northern Ireland. Group B, Spain, Germany, Finland, and Denmark. That's also, that looks pretty tight. Group C, as I mentioned, Portugal, Switzerland, uh, the Netherlands, and Sweden. And then Group D, Belgium, Iceland, France, and Italy. So, interesting. I'm keen to see how well Italy will go. I think there'll be something interesting to watch. Considering Australia played them in the last World Cup and that was a game and a half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got some yeah, opener for Group D. You've got France and Italy. It's a good one. Uh, got Germany and Denmark in Group B in the first opening day. So, um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, these big tournaments, anything can happen. Um, some big teams disappoint, backfire. And there's always a dark horse, but um, so your my money's on the Netherlands. You? Oh, 
Um, I'm going to say Sweden. Yeah. Sweden. Runners up in the Olympics. I reckon they're going to come out hungry. Magdalena Ericsson Company. Yeah. A great team. Great team. Um, Michelle, I think that's all for today. Any final comments? Any Anything else to, to add? Um, go out and support your local team. Support your local. Go watch your, your National League. Nice, 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 nice. Wherever you are, whether you're listening to us in Germany, we've got listeners in Canada, in the US, um, in England, South Africa, in Australia. So wherever you are, get out there and, um, yeah, support your team. Michelle, thank you. Thank you for your time. And, no worries. Um, and for your, your two cents. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was great to, to have you in the sh- on the show once again, considering that um, uh, Peru just played Australia Obviously, your allegiances were you know, a bit divided. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, you may say the best team didn't win, but um, on paper, but it was definitely a match in a true sense of the word where, you know, it's, it's international football. It's, it's about who wants it the most. And Australia definitely showed more more hunger, more desire to win the, the tie. And, um, and they got the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's done. it. That's it. That's all you need to do. Australia drawn, I forgot what group, but against uh, Denmark, France, and Tunisia. I don't, don't remember if it's Group C or Group D. Um, yeah. But um, they're in. They're in. So fifth straight consecutive. Yeah, I, I just think about that and I think, wow, you know, because I grew up uh, with Australia not qualifying. It was just, it was the other way around. It was five World Cup qualifying campaigns and and you know but um <laughs> that's all we got time for thank you it's been a long one thank you very much <laughs> and um it's bye for now <laughs>